I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. everybody welcome back to the Celtics pod I'm your boy Adam Taylor today I'm joined by my home dog Mr. Greg Manakis. Greg man how was Christmas how was uh you took a break away from like life just to go and just chill out for a week or two how's that been it's been cool man it's been really cool I uh, got a lot of time in the studio with my band I was back in Boston so everyone listening y'all know that I live down here in Austin Texas I've been here since 2012 um, but I grew up in Dorchester so every Christmas I gotta go home back and see the fam this christmas obviously was a little bit weird with covid uh so i had to test right before i left i was like you know isolating before i left and i got there we didn't really see too many people i didn't even hit up any of my homies uh because i was just trying to see my family right so that that was kind of weird um but i'm back here in austin texas now but you know what's crazy bro is my cousin whose name is steve moy is on this show on lifetime called married at first sight and I don't know if you know this show. Do you know the concept? Yeah, I know of the, the show? show. I know the show. Okay, so my my cousin's on the new season that just that just filmed in Boston. So last night was the the matchmaking episode. So I was there when he found out that he was going to be getting married in two weeks, right? So he hit me up over the summertime, and he was like, "Hey, man, come come through. Like, they want to film me playing basketball with some of my friends. So come through. Just be ready. Uh, be ready to hoop. They're just going to be shooting some B roll." And when I when we were playing ball, like Dr. Viviana Cole shows up and she's like, hey, Steve, like you're going to get married in two weeks. And like I was there for that for that episode and that filming. So last night I got to see myself on TV, which was really cool because in that game, me and my cousin Steve ran this like perfect pick and roll. And I threw this little lob pass over the top for him for a layup. And that made that made the cut. So I was on TV last night, man. I never I never got on TV before playing basketball until last night. So I'm really, really proud of myself. And now you're watching it thinking, yo, I look smooth, man. I reckon I could uh, at least get a 10-day hardship deal. Right, right. Yeah, I'm um, you, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in pretty good shape right now, though. As we talked about a few weeks ago, I've been hitting the gym. I'm, you know, I'm six feet, 190 pounds right now. I'm feeling pretty strong. The jumper's looking smooth. Um, I feel like I could stand in the corner, and I could probably hit, you know, at least one three-pointer. I'm like the Celtics. So, yo, so for Christmas, I bought myself these, like, fancy scales, right? Like, the ones that you stand on, it tells you, like, you, how much water you're carrying for the day, what your bait, like, it tells you everything. It just uploads it to an app. They're nice. Just They're on, like, feet? A, well, it does, like, a body scan, so, like, it, like, does something. It's weird. You have to be on there for, like, four minutes for it to read everything. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, cool, because I just watch a video on my phone, right? And, like, um, so when COVID first hit, I was 194. And I'm like, yo, that's a that's a decent walking around weight. Mm-hmm. Now, after two years of being isolated, really not really doing much, because obviously I was protecting my grandma, God rest her soul, mm-hmm. um, and everything there. Like, um, yeah, I'm at two sixty six, bro. I'm like, yo, that's a lot dang. of weight. I'm like, dang, dude. So uh, I need to sixty six. Two six six. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I'm a big guy anyway, so like I can carry it, but I'm like. Like you can see it a little bit too, you know, like that spare tire starting to be there. I'm like, yeah, I need to get, I need to get back to the gym. Uh, I ain't got no one to really have to protect right now. I'm fully vaxxed, so uh, I'm going back this week. I'm just like, yeah, I need to drop some of this 266 back down towards that 190 area. And then the other thing I find funny is when you say I'm from Dorchester. So do you know how many people from Boston I speak to now? Like I've got my boy Tim that I do uh, stuff with over on YouTube. 
he's from now low i got you oh, i got yeah. i got you i got will i got a couple of other people that i speak to on the on the phone everybody on the show if you've long time listening you know cody not one of you have the boston accent right now it's not like dorchester well I, okay all right so i've been here in austin texas since 2012 um when i first moved here literally so I'm a teacher, right? That's what I do. I teach, I teach English. Um, a lot of times I'm working with students that are learning how to speak English as a second language. Um, I'm the ESL teacher at the school that I work at. So when I first moved here, none of my kids could understand me because of my accent. So I had to work really, really hard to start enunciating and speaking, quote unquote, appropriately without the Boston accent to the point where like I don't, I kind of have just like a neutral speaking voice now. But Adam, when we eventually see each other, when we eventually go to a Boston Celtics game together, we're going to be having some beers, maybe drink some whiskey beforehand. And I, I, I swear to you, my guy, you will hear it. You will hear it because it comes out. It comes out when I when I get really emotional about something or if I get really drunk. So that's <laughs> Dorchester. I'm from Dorchester. Go selfie. I'm like, yeah, let's do it, man. I can't wait. I need to get myself to Boston a few times this year, but I want to drop some of this 266 before I let people start seeing him, seeing me no, around. That's fair. That's They'll fair. be like, yo, this dude is huge. I'm like, I ain't <laughs> about that life, you know? Um, anyway, while we're talking about huge, there's one thing that was huge in Celtics land yesterday or Wednesday, if you're listening to the show, well, you will be listening on Friday at least. And that was the amount of freeze that was missed. It was a huge letdown. It was... <laughs> I think Keith Smith put it out in a tweet when he put his 10 takeaways out and he was like, you couldn't hit, they couldn't hit the water if they fell out of a boat. And I find that quite funny because I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how it is. You know, they would have fell out and found land before they found water. Uh, how are you feeling, man? After seeing that, like, I know there's been some, some disappointing losses the last, last week or so, but this one was just like, are you kidding me, man? Like so many frees, yeah. bro. 42 frees and you hit four of them. Like, yeah, and, I, and I, I want I want to touch on what you said in your article for Celtics blog that you wrote uh, a little bit later. But just in terms of like my general uh, feel watching that game, like obviously there were a, a few things that I think the Celtics could have done better, um, aside from shooting the ball. But one thing that everyone's been harping on this year is the effort, and I felt like they played really, really hard. Right throughout the game, I don't think you can really question their effort. So at least we can say that the Celtics played hard. Right. But effort does not win games. What win games is effort plus execution. Right. And we did not have the execution specifically with the three point shot. And it reminded me of that game. And this was a regular season game. Right. Stakes were high because it dropped us to three game losing streak, three games under 500. Um, just a regular season game, though. But it reminded me of the Houston Rockets against the Golden State Warriors game seven in like 2018, where they missed 27 three pointers in a row. And just kept chucking up the three because eventually the math is going to tell us that one of those three pointers is going to go in. And it just didn't happen, right? It was just one of those games where, for whatever reason, the Celtics far underperformed their expected field goal percentage for the open shots that they got, right? Chris Forsberg uh, tweeted out the um, the tracking data for last night, right? And the three-point shots by defender distance, we are 0 for 1, defended very tightly, 0 for 5, defended tightly. 0 for 12 for open three-pointers. That's four to six feet. And then four for 24 on wide open three-pointers. Um, so at least we hit four of the wide open shots. I mean, yeah, but that's not enough, man. <laughs> like, and I get enough. it. I get it. Sometimes, you know, it's just not there. 
you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that I get there's a take out there and there's definitely an avenue where you can look at these things and be like, do you know what? Obviously, this is because the Celtics lack elite level shooters. And the fact that this isn't the first game where it's been a bad shooting performance kind of alludes to that fact. I'll, I'll give you that. But none of them bad performances have been this bad. I didn't, mm. but, and I get it, you know, some of your best shooters aren't on the floor, i.e. Jason Tatum. Uh, but at the same time, you have enough talent around you that four for 42 isn't really... And the defense that the, the Clippers were putting up against you wasn't exactly like in-your-face physical. You're going to feel feel these contests on every shot. We're talking wide open. That means there's no one 24. there. 24 wide open threes. And they're just not landing. And I feel like for me, it's like you're at some point, I understand the math says that things are going to level out. But guess what? What the math means is it will lever out over the season. Right now, you yeah. you need to change what you're doing because it's not working. And one of the biggest issues that everybody had during the last few months of Brad Season's tenure, Brad Stevens' tenure, was the fact that the the Celtics relied too much on shooting threes to get back into games. This felt like a winnable game, but they relied on threes to win it, where there was other avenues that they could attack to win the contest. You get what I'm saying? So I'm like, yo, you didn't need to shoot that many threes because you were getting whatever you wanted when you were running actions on like the side pick and roll to to get Mm. slashes to the rim or when you was attacking closeouts, you were getting whatever you wanted and you were getting it from three too, but they just weren't falling. So why stick with it? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, man. Yeah, and when you look at how many wide open threes we got, like part of it is because I think there were a lot of possessions in which we did move the ball well. We made the extra pass and we drove to get a kick out, right? We didn't drive to score. We drove for paint touches and then to kick the ball out. But so many of those three-pointers were them just like daring us to shoot. They're like, we don't even have to run at you, specifically Al Horford. There were like maybe three wide open threes that Al had where they they stayed – with the the one pass away, right? They didn't even run at Al. They're just like, go ahead, bro. Like, you're 0 for 5 tonight. There's no way you're hitting this one. This isn't your night. If you hit it, like, props to you, you know? So, like, I, announcers will say this. Coaches will say this. If you're open, you have to ask yourself why you're so open, right? Am I open for a reason? Because nobody thinks I'm going to hit the shot, right? And I think that's kind of where the Celtics ended up being last night. Yeah, there was there definitely were some good offensive possessions that led to open threes. But I would I would venture to guess I don't have the numbers in front of me. I didn't actually look at this, but I would guess at least seven to eight of those wide open threes were them just being like, "Okay, we're good with you shooting that shot." Yeah, we can live with this. Mm-hmm. And like <laughs> after the game in the post game presses um, for for the Clippers, right? Terrence man was like, oh, wow, they did miss. Oh, wow. You know, like kind of just like shocked at looking at the stat line himself. And I feel like they definitely dared the Celtics to shoot. And that tells me that teams feel very comfortable with letting Boston do do most of their work beyond the three-point line. Because it's just not where their talent is best best laid at the moment. And I wrote this in my piece. I was like, look, man, the Celtics have some valuable, very talented shooters. But what they have more, what they have an abundance of is explosive rim finishes. So why 
are you settling for freeze when you have guys on the floor that can really damage you in that fight, like six to two foot around the rim region, just being able to explode? You saw Rob Williams getting his work done on putbacks and on like he um, commanded the offensive glass, commanded the defensive glass. He was doing what he does best. He was exploding around the rim. At the moment, I feel like Jalen Brown's kind of got away from that a little bit, where realistically, that's Jalen Brown's bread and butter. I understand this has improved dramatically as a pull-up shooter and a catch-and-shoot guard, but his best asset, in my opinion, is still that athletic explosion, you know, where he really drives and just explodes around the ring to get a good finish. Same as Romeo. We're not seeing it from Romeo and whoever else you want to throw in there. I think even Horford showed his value of, you know, throwing up the fake and then really attacking the close. I, I just felt like there was an overcommitment to the cause. And like sometimes, like, you know, when you're joking with your boys and you overcommit to a bit and everyone just stops laughing because you've just took it one step too far and it's not funny anymore and only you're the one still laughing. It felt like that for quite a large stretch. Yeah, and, like, I'm looking at um, Jalen Brown's shot chart, shot chart right now. And, like, if you look at him, man, he does have a ton of shots in the paint, right? He only took one two shots outside the paint that were, that was not a three pointer pretty much. Um, and he made both of those shots, right? There are a couple shots like right around the edge of the, the edge of the paint, but he had, he did have a lot of shots in the paint. It's just, he took so many shots. He took 36 shots last night, right? So he had 30, he took 13 threes. So that means he has 23 shots that were, were not three pointers. And it looks like around, I don't know. I, I, looking at the shot chart, I'd say at least 12 of those are like directly in the paint. So like, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I just think the JB thing when, when nobody else is hitting shots, right. You, you have to do everything in a game where Jason Tatum isn't playing and nobody else is able to score the basket. Right. So I, I think with, with JB, I didn't hate the way he played. I, I thought he shot poorly but he was the one guy that was really able to get to the paint and finish. And one thing I'm going to push back on a little bit is Zubac is a problem, man. Like he's huge. So when he's in the game, the Celtics really weren't able to drive at him unless Al Horford was out by the three point line. Right. And then that's when Rob Williams was able to do damage when Marcus Morris was guarding him. That's why he had 10 offensive rebounds. The Celtics offensive rebounds numbers. Dude, like <laughs> looking at the numbers in this game, it's ridiculous that we lost. Because we had eight steals, I'm going on a little tangent here, but we had eight steals and eight blocks, which was about twice as many as the Clips. We out-rebounded them 21-9 to on offensive rebounds. We only had eight turnovers. We forced 14 turnovers. So, like, the only reason we lost the game really was because of shooting, and we were four for 42, whatever it was. So, going back, circling back real quick, though, with all the, quote-unquote, like, explosive rim finishers, like... Who do you really see as explosive rim finishers? Because I see Jalen Brown as a guy that definitely can do it. Josh Richardson, I think, can do it. Jason Tatum, I wouldn't really describe him as like explosive. He's smooth. Robert Williams, I I would say is explosive. But other than that, I don't really see. Too see many so guys I've got Romeo as explosive. I've got Neesmith sure. that's explosive. Like you know, if he, he gets around get the rim, paint. yeah, yeah. Like this is the problem. And then like the other thing is as well. Like and like, this was kind of the premise of the entire piece I wrote earlier today. If you've got Zubach in drop and then you're putting like you're really getting defended up on the perimeter, attack the mid range, man. Mm-hmm. Like Jalen yeah. Brown is a 30, what is he, a third, what is he, 37, a 37% mid range shooter this season. He's Which is far his, below his, his career average. 
yeah, his career it is, average is way yeah. higher than that. Yeah, it's like forty percent is his career average. It's not like it's like a couple of percentage up. But then like it's he's not the only guy that's gonna hit middies. Josh Richardson is built as a mid range guy. Do you know what I mean? I feel like yeah. Romeo could get there if he drove into the mid-range and let floaters go. Pritchard, I think, would have a field day stepping in from the free and pulling up in space. Like You've got guys that can shoot from that mid-range area. Attack where the space is. If, you, if you're not scoring from free, run some Iverson actions where, you know, come off the Iverson screens and turn and then attack. And then if the defense closes out on you, you've got the over-the-top pass to Rob Williams or a cut in Al Horford that you can dump off to. Give what the de- take what the defense is giving you, and that defense and any drop defense like that, you know, it's the same against Philly when they run Embiid. It's the same against Denver when they run Jokic. So many teams are that kind of caught up in the analytics movement of yo, you defend threes in the rim and you let those mid range shots live. That's cool, but Boston, if you don't want to say they've got they're built with rim like explosive rim finishers, what they are built with is a bunch of guys that can live in that mid-range area. Now I'm not saying you need to do that on a game on a game by game basis. What I am mm-hmm. saying is if the free's not falling and you've got a big man that's really deterring you get into the rim consistently, live in that mid-range area, run plays to get you there, run rip like you know, run some UCLA screens, run your Iverson screens, do whatever you need to do to open a shooting pocket in an area where some of your guys or cash money. There was a great article on the Ringer, um, probably about five weeks ago at this point. Kevin O'Connor tweeted it out, but he didn't write it. And it was about how to, how the mid range game hasn't died, but teams have become far more selective with guys they feed in that area. They want That's good article. You know what I mean? Like Demar Derozan is one of those guys. Um, Tatum is one of those guys. But my argument there is, we're in a season where those guys. Uh, in and out of lineups because of health and safety protocols. So to hell with analytics for a few months, run what what suits your roster best on a game by game basis. And this game after the third, like after the second second quarter, maybe halfway through the third, when you've got a large enough sample size that you're like, yeah, the threes aren't falling tonight. We can see that we're two and a half quarters through the game. We've hit one free. Let's just try this to get and then build a lead. And if you want to go back to shooting threes once you've got a comfortable lead, do so. But yo, at least run more around that mid-range area where the space is. It just it, it perplexes me because a spreadsheet tells you that it's not an analytically favored favored shot. I get it, but I just disagree when your team isn't at full strength. Yeah, and also just like the guys that hit the shots, right? So Jalen hit one, Grant hit two, and Sam Hauser hit one, right? But if you look at like, aside from Jalen, who was one for 13, Grant only took three three-pointers, Hauser took three three-pointers, right? So like, why didn't we get them more opportunities to shoot, Where whereas we have Al Horford's 0 for 7, Right. Peyton Pritchard was 0 for 5, just didn't have it, didn't have the legs. Josh Richardson 0 for 5. So like even the guys that like hit their three pointers, it's not like we continued to look for those guys. You know, it's just like we kept going to the guys that weren't hitting shots and clearly didn't have a rhythm. And it's not like we were missing shots by a mile, you know, where there were a lot of them that rimmed out. But on those nights, like you're saying, man, you have to be able to have more in the bag. And this is something that I've been hearing a lot on like the national podcast, like the Zach Lowe pod and the mismatch pod. It's just talking about teams that are able to switch up whatever it is they do on a game-to-game basis. Like the Utah Jazz have been a hot topic of conversation and their willingness to play mismatch basketball this year and just like break their system from game to game. And it, it just seems like the Celtics, they're just, they, they just don't have the pieces, man. Like, may, may, 
like who who on the team yesterday would you have felt really comfortable with doing anything other than Jalen Brown? Like jo- Josh Richardson just came back from COVID. Peyton Pritchard just didn't have it. He was he was awful. Like Broderick Thomas was probably like our second best initiator of the offense in the 14 minutes that he played. And what does that tell you about the team, man? Like Broderick Thomas looks good. Do you want to look good? Do you want to talk about him in a minute? Yeah, I liked Broderick Thomas. I thought like, yo, he actually made things happen. He moved without the ball. He was cutting without the ball. And this is the problem for me. I think that a lot of these guys are talented, but part of me feels like, and I put this in the article too, and the word I used was castrated. I feel like Udoka is castrating some of this team's talent by asking them to play very, very specific roles. And if you kind of step outside of that role, he's going to pull you up, put you on the bench and be like, yo, you need to play your role, son. And like, um, I feel like Thomas kind of fell, fell victim to that after his first stint in the game. So we'll get to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, man. I get that, like, outside of Jalen Brown, where where do you really feel comfortable of your initiation coming from? Where do you... And, I mean, Jalen Brown was awful. He had a potential eight assists in 40 minutes, which isn't good at all. He made, like, none of them converted, but obviously you can't blame that on him because shots weren't falling across the board. But what I'm learning is Jalen Brown is not an initiator, and that's fine. It's completely fine. We don't have to go down that road. It's just maybe it's what a lot of people hoped he would become. And at the moment, we're not there yet. So without Jason Tatum, without Marcus Smart, why are we not utilizing Al Horford's passing above the break more and saying to Horford, like, yo, you initiate 90% of what we're going to do. Rob Williams is fantastic as a passer. Why are we not feeding? Why are we not working more off the block and initiating offense from the mid post? We've seen Marcus Smart do that. If you're comfortable running offense from Marcus Smart in the mid-post, you best damn be sure that you can run it with Al Horford and Robert Williams. But we don't, you know? And I just feel like the way Udoka's asking these guys to play and the positions he's putting them in and asking them to create from or to score from isn't conducive to what a lot of these guys' skill sets give you. And I just feel like there's a very big lack of self-awareness throughout the roster. I just think like, you know, some guys are taking threes when they're not really three-point shooters. Doka's asking guys to do things that doesn't fit within their skill set or is maybe a little bit too far out their comfort zone to get consistency from them in a specific role. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same, but that's kind of like where everyone's like, oh, the Celtics didn't really have anyone that could do anything. I'm like, they had guys that could do a lot, but not with the way they were attacking, approaching the game. Yeah, and it, it, I think this is one thing where like every game that we play other teams, you see how much other guys, just like random dudes on teams, have so much more freedom to create. And like even last night, there were some guys on the Clippers that like I really didn't know much about that ran a good pick and roll. You know, like um, Coffee, Amir Coffee had a couple nice plays where he created something for himself. Um, Johnson had a couple nice plays where he, you know, he he made he made. One on one moves on people, spins to the baseline, and things of that nature. You just like don't really see the the guys outside of the like Jalen Browns, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Dennis Schroeder, Josh Richardson. You don't really see anybody else being allowed to do anything or like seeming. It, it almost seems like they don't have it in their bag to do it. But I'm like they they have to at some point they have to like show 
that they can do these things. Like Aaron Neesmith, we've seen him be a three-level scorer. Romeo Langford, I think that his his drives off of the corner and his little floater game, as you alluded to earlier, I think those are definitely there for him. It's just like we don't see that very often throughout the game. Neesmith, although he didn't play last night and hasn't played much this season, is the one guy where I really feel like we have underutilized what he could be for this team. He hasn't played great this year, but we've seen flashes of him being a three-level scorer. And how many times have you seen that this year? Like maybe you probably count on both hands, right? Yeah, so, I mean – Go ahead. No, carry on. No, go carry on. Carry on. Well, I was going to say that go, to your point about Ime, when people say like, oh, he's he's not a bad coach. You can't blame it on him. You have to blame it on the players. It's like, ah, good coaches. Yeah, everybody can have a system. Brad Stevens had a system, and the players just didn't buy into that system, right? And everyone was calling Brad a bad coach last year. So by the same logic, you're going to have to call Ime a bad coach this year because the system that he wants, the philosophy that he's trying to instill on the offensive end, the guys aren't doing it, you know? So Aaron E. Smith is one of those guys where you got to empower somebody like that to become a weapon for you. Because as you said, that, that's a very strong word, but the word castrating him, it's, it's, it's what he's done to his offensive game this year. Because Neesmith looks like a shell of himself compared to what he was last year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, same with Romeo. Like, Romeo looks better defensively, but at the same oh, yeah. time, like this is a guy that came into the league. Who, where everyone was like, yo, he's an offensive guy. He's a slasher. He's going to be super aggressive getting to the rim. That's what he does. I feel like he, he's not allowed to do that. That's how I feel. Like he's being told like, yo, you only drive to the rim when that's the last option. Any other time you need to feed. It It, it feels like schoolyard ball where it's like, yo, you feed Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. Now our ass guys, feed them, feed them, feed them. Whereas if you go and look at like the Phoenix Suns, the Golden State Warriors, yes, I understand the offense is still geared towards getting Devin Booker or Steph Curry a good shot. But what it isn't is it isn't you only feed this guy. It's very more egalitarian. And I feel like when Brad Stevens tried that, he lent into it a little bit too much when it was like the the Brown, Tatum, Hayward era. And he lent a little bit too far towards the egalitarian. But Ime is very much like, yo, you feed the star and that's it. Your role is to stand in the corner and give us spacing. Well, that's fine in a normal year, but in a year like this where you really need guys to feel like they can attack the rim and they can be who they are as a basketball player, it's not it's not working right now. Romeo looks a shell of himself and all of a sudden, like on defense as well, it looks like his confidence is starting to take a hit. Pritchard's just letting him fly from anywhere because he's like, yo, I'm getting minutes. I need to put up some numbers so I can keep <laughs> these minutes. You know what I mean? And it, it, it's just, I, I do, I blame Mudoka a lot for the way, like, not the regression, but the stagnation of a lot of these players. And then obviously with guys like Neesmith, it's definitely a regression. And I know castrate's a strong word, but I definitely feel like that's what he's done to 50 or 60% of this roster at this point. Yeah. But I think we should move on from Ime. Um, we've talked about him enough, right? You want to like do Roderick Thomas? Yeah, let's talk about Broderick Thomas just a little bit. Let's let's give him two minutes. Let's give him two minutes. I don't know if he's going to get another two minutes on the pod this year. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was good, man. I think he was active. He was you know, he was moving off ball real well. He was connecting plays real well, you know, whether that be with the ball in his hand or just relocating to allow space to open up for somebody who was on good ball. Good cutter. Who, yeah, very good. Very, he was a heady player in that game. Everything he did was well thought. I, I, never, I never watched him move and was like, Yo, you're, you're kind of encroaching on the spacing or you, you've killed this driving lane for a guy. Everything felt like it was to generate that next step. 
You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if he stood if he stood where he was, it was because he didn't want to sink like sink into some some driving lanes or whatever. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think he's an NBA level player right now. Like if the league was at full health all the way through, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have seen Broderick Thomas last night. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's definitely a platform for him to build and he's like a high IQ in terms of off ball IQ for him to find a role in the NBA in a year or two. I think his shot looks quite nice as well. I know he missed a few, but that uh that buzzer beater was a was a heartbreaker for him, man. Yeah, I felt so okay. bad for him. Alternative world, that shot counts. The Celtics go 14 for 42 from three. <laughs> Once you take that shot off the board, it just kills all the momentum. I mean, there is a world where that would happen, you know, because right. all of a sudden you've hit that big time three, like the yep. one the one to close out. And you're just like, man, yeah, we can do this. Like, you know, threes are falling again. And it changes the mentality, right? Mm-hmm. But and then it was like, now nah, we ain't letting you get hot like that. You think we're letting Broderick Thomas get a shot like that? Like, you right. must be crazy. No, and but I, take I, it away, I, didn't, dude. I didn't mind it. I didn't mind him on the court. He actually kind of reminded me a little bit of like when Romeo's playing really well, just the way he moves on the yeah. court and his ability to cut. Um, I, it, it crossed my mind, like in that one game, how much of a difference was there between Broderick Thomas's minutes and Romeo Langford's minutes? Like minimal. Yeah, it really wasn't, I mean, right? I feel Romeo's regressed over the last three or four games defensively, and I feel like his offense just there's a lack of commitment to to whatever he's being asked to do offensively, if he's mm-hmm. being asked to do anything. So I, yeah. I'd agree there. I feel like Broderick Thomas was an equal value player to Romeo in that game. Yeah, and it, it, I was impressed with his ability to move his feet on defense too. There are a couple times where people try to just drive by him, like, oh, there's this G League guy in front of me. I'm just going to go to the rack. And he moved his feet. He was strong with his body. Um, so I wouldn't mind seeing him get uh, another stint in the next game. I Hopefully the Celtics have guys return from COVID protocols, and hopefully Marcus Smart's hand is good. H- has there been a report about how he cut his hand? Not that I've seen, just a laceration. Okay, so it wasn't him punching another mirror in the hotel room. <laughs> no, I think we would have heard if he'd been hitting stuff. Like, I think right. that would have been uh, that we would have heard that. But like, does Marcus Smart make a difference in that game? I think Marcus yes. Smart, yeah, I think Marcus oh, yeah. Smart makes a big difference. Not as a scorer, like if you're relying on Marcus Smart to hit threes, you know you've hit a different type of low. Um, but at the same time, as a playmaker, he's still the team's best passer. I don't think we can argue that at this point. Still the team's best playmaker. And he's another guy that's really going to get into your face when he's driving the lane. He will he will be the guy to pressure Zubac around the yep. rim and then kick out. So I think that Marcus Smart was a big miss in this game. I just feel like I feel like when I'm watching the Celtics after games and they're in press conferences, there's a lot of a, we're not healthy, but they're not realizing that teams they're facing aren't healthy either. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like We're talking about a Clippers team that didn't have PG. We know they didn't have Kawhi. That was obvious coming into the game, regardless of COVID. But, you know, every team's unhealthy. But Broderick Thomas, man, yeah, I, I was uh, I was impressed. I wasn't like, I'm not going to be screaming for him to get more minutes, but mm-hmm. like, I'm definitely like, yo, if, you're, if I see him again against Phoenix, I'm not going to be upset. Like, what? You're playing Phoenix and the form that you're in. Give all the young guys chances, man. That's the best opportunity they're going to get. Right. Yeah, um, we should talk about w- what's been going on, though. Conversations. Um, Jeff Clark, Celtics blog, wrote wrote a piece today um, about a potential Jalen Brown for Ben Simmons deal. You know, this is something that people have been throwing out there for quite some time now uh, that potentially the Celtics will need to move on from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And it's almost like getting to the point 
where it feels inevitable because it's like so in the zeitgeist of the NBA conversations right now. Like Zach Lowe just had Jeff Van Gundy on and they had a discussion about that. Kevin O'Connor um, had the, your guy Half Court Hoops. What's his name again? Piper. Piper. Piper Gibson. Piper Gibson, yeah, he was Gibson on Gibson um, Piper, Gibson Piper, Gibson Piper, yeah, he was on Kevin O'Connor's Mismatch Void podcast, and it seems like everybody is starting to talk about it, and it's ga- gaining momentum to the point where it almost feels inevitable. It might not happen this year, but I'm I'm starting to get that feeling like ah, oh, this is this is going to happen one day. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to see that Jalen Brown has been traded, and I don't want that to happen because um, I do think that there is a world in which these two guys can be DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, right? There's no reason why they can't be those two guys. I don't think that, I think DeRozan is unbelievable this year. I've been watching a lot of the Bulls and he's on a whole nother level that I never thought he'd be able to get to. So like this year, I don't think Tatum or Brown is on DeMar DeRozan's level. Zach Levine, I think has also surpassed Jalen Brown this year. Um, That was a guy that I think a lot of people thought Jalen Brown was far better than him in the past. And I think you can't even make that argument anymore. I think Zach Levine's a better player at this point. Um, so with Jay, with Jalen and, and, and Tatum, I think that they can be what the Bulls have. We just have to have the right pieces around. But before we talk about moves we can make on the fringes, I just want to get your thoughts on the idea that Jeff Clark put out there and that Zach Lowe and Jeff Van Gundy talked about is a Jalen Brown for Ben Simmons deal in which the Celtics would be getting one or two other pieces to go along with that. Yeah, shout out Jeff, man. Jeff's the blog father. Anything yes, sir. that's always a good read. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I tweeted this earlier today. I, I'm actually at the point now where I kind of lean into a Jalen Brown for Ben Simmons trade, but for me, there has to be more coming back, right? So I was watching the Garden Report yesterday on Wednesday where it was like Jeff Goodman, Bob Ryan, and... Um, I think it was like Gary Tangai or Tangai or Tangai. Um, but like Goodman said, like, yo, if you can do Jalen Brown for Ben Simmons plus Seth Curry, like you do that deal, like that deal makes you better as a team. And I, I was like, I sat there and I was like, does it, does Ben Simmons over Jalen Brown plus obviously Seth Curry's shooting make you a better team? And the more I think about it, the more I think that a Ben Simmons Jason Tatum partnership is more beneficial it, it suits the team more than what a Jalen Brown Jason Tatum partnership does and I don't know whether that's just because it's a partnership we haven't seen but in my head I'm like Jason Tatum is never going to have been given the looks that Ben Simmons could create for him you know what I mean where Ben Simmons drives really sucks in that defense because of his ability to finish around the rim and then just kicks out to Tatum like Tatum's never going to have found open looks the way he would if Ben Simmons was creating for him I also don't think Tatum would have played with a playmaker to the level of Ben Simmons, a facilitator to the level of Ben Simmons. And then you look on the defensive end, Ben Simmons is a superior defender to Jalen Brown. He he just is. I, I don't think that's, you can't argue that Ben Simmons is a far superior perimeter defender to Jalen Brown. He also has the height to be able to switch one through five. You know, if teams go small, you can put, you can put Ben Simmons, your guard onto the five, a small ball five and feel very comfortable about doing so. The only thing that you lose is the three-point shooting, which is why I'm like, I'd I'd need to get Seth Curry in that deal for me to be like, yo, the, the Celtics marginally won this trade. Because you're not winning a trade where you're giving away Jalen Brown. But if you're coming out marginally better, uh, I, I genuinely believe, I, I've come to the, the decision that I genuinely believe Ben Simmons plus Tatum is better for Boston than Brown and Tatum. I understand Ben Simmons' attitude issues. I get it. But as as a player personnel strictly basketball 
those two fit better, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I would say that the Sixers could probably make the same case that Jalen Brown and Joel Embiid complement each other better than Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Yeah, for do, right? sure. So, like in a vacuum, I think the trade makes sense for sure. Um, I, the the it's it's the non basketball stuff with Simmons, right? Going into last season, I think if you had said should the Celtics trade Jalen Brown for Ben Simmons, Philadelphia, and most people would have said, why would the Sixers ever do that? Like Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons is one of the best defenders in the league. All NBA guy, like he's he's an amazing player. JB, I think has exceeded so many people's expectations of what his ceiling could be. Um, that you know, it right now we think that JB is the better player, but at at their peak levels, Ben Simmons is a better player. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think if Ben Simmons is committed to a team and he he's being a professional, you know, and he's really committed to being part of this team and growing with this team and we move past all of this refusing to play and off court like distractions. He stops dating Kardashians. He stops dating Maya Jammer from London, which had a lot of English people upset. Um, and he really focuses on his basketball. Then yeah, I genuinely believe that Boston get the better player in that deal. Ben Simmons when fully locked in is a better player than what Jalen Brown is as currently constructed. For sure. And I, I just think with, with JB, what you're betting on is his work ethic over Ben Simmons' work ethics. I think that is sure. that is something that people have been knocking Ben Simmons since his time at LSU. You know, so he just didn't doesn't really love basketball. And JB, although he does, he's a well-rounded person, right? He he clearly loves basketball and clearly works really hard at his game. He wouldn't be at this point in his career if he didn't have an insane work ethic, considering where he was coming out of Cal. Like but nobody ever thought Jalen Brown would become this good, and he has. Right. So that that speaks to how hard he works and how many hours he spends in the gym. So for me personally, that's what I would prefer to bet on is that Jalen Brown is going to figure it out because he works so hard. It's just like, does he have the skill level to be the guy that we need him to be? And that is the question mark is can he can he make high level reads, which he has not shown the ability to? Can he even really make simple passes, which he hasn't really shown the ability to do like last night? Oh, my I I thought of you immediately as this play was happening where it's like in the fourth quarter, Celtics are on a run. Robert Williams sprints out on a fast break, wide open, and Jalen Brown decides to do a look away, bounce pass trans in transition, throws it at Robert Williams' feet, and then Robert Williams dives and like gets concussed, hitting his head on the floor, picking up the <laughs> loose ball. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to talk about this on the pod with Adam tomorrow because all Jalen Brown had to do, he could have stared Robert Williams down f- for like four steps and nobody would have been able to get a hand on that ball. And instead, he does a ridiculous look away pass and overcomplicates the pass. Because all he had to do is just chest pass right to Robert Williams. That's a dunk. And I think the Celtics would have taken the lead at that point, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly. Right. I'm kind of kind of lost my train of thought. We were talking about Ben Simmons and Jalen Brown. So, like, I, I, I don't want to do it. Right. I don't want to make that trade. I want to bet on Jalen Brown's work ethic. Um I do have a, another trade that I would like to pitch to you that doesn't involve Jalen Brown. If you're ready to move on, or if you yeah, want. yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, I've said my piece on on why okay. I want Simmons. Yeah. So my fake trade is with the Portland Trailblazers. Okay. Okay. And I would give up both of our young wings, Aaron E. Smith and Romeo Langford. Don't know how you feel about that, Al Horford, okay. and two future firsts. Okay, we're gonna go. This year, which might be a good pick, um, top eight protected, and then 2024 top five protected. And in return, we get Yusuf Nurkic and CJ McCollum. Initial thoughts. 
Okay, so you're not getting CJ this season because of his collapse long. So you, you're banking on CJ coming back healthy next year. So that's the first thing that put me off a little bit. And is, then he, you've is, got, he, is he done for the year? He might be back, but the dude's got to collapse long. I think he take as long as you need to to make sure you're back in, uh, in full strength before you come back. I've told myself that it's unlikely you'll see him this year, but there is a chance. Right. And then you've got Nurkic as well, that's injury prone. He's been in and out of the lineup for a few years now. I really like the idea of having Nurkic. I think Nurkic is a fantastic short role initiator, um, big body, solid on the boards. He's a good finisher in the, in the block, on the mid post. He can create a little bit for you out of the post as well. And he can do a lot above the above the three in terms of like dribble handoff creation. And, you know, he can fire some bullet passes over the top to you. So I like Nurkic as, as like a long-term solution to Al Horford, but you're losing that three-point shooting, but that's okay because at the moment Al Horford's three-point shooting has regressed anyway. And then CJ McCollum, um, that works in a vacuum because you're adding that extra scorer. But the same the same reason I, I caught, and I think that CJ McCollum can create a little bit as well, can create his own shot off the dribble a little bit. Um, but I'm like, yo, it's the same reason I kind of lean away from Bradley Beal at the same time. Like, we've had three scorers on this team before, and it's never worked, right? Mm-hmm. We've had Kemba Walker with these guys, it didn't work. Kyrie with these guys didn't work. Jordan Hayward with these guys, that was probably the closest you got to it working because Hayward was the connector. Um, I like the idea, though. I feel like you're getting rid of two guys that you're not going to give big minutes to under Adoka, and you're getting back two guys that would get like legitimately impactful minutes. And I do think that you know you could see a good partnership develop between like Nurkic and Grant and Nurkic and Tatum. You could see things developing there. And to me, I know McCollum's probably the bigger name and the better player, but Nurkic is the guy that I think would have the bigger impact to begin with, to begin with with his team. So I wouldn't say no to that. Uh, to be fair, I think that giving up two picks for that is a little bit much just based on the contracts and the injury issues with both of those guys, like the injury concerns with both of them. I'd probably lean towards just one pick over two, but again, Portland are going to be in a rebuild. They're going to want the draft assets to move on from those two guys. So I understand it completely. Yeah, and maybe it's like one of Romeo or Neesmith if they want another pick, you know, like we get to keep one of the young guys, you know, just you want to hold on in one one of your assets in that situation. Yeah, Nurkic is the guy that is interested in me. So I don't know CJ McCollum's medical. I'm not pretending to be a doctor, but I do have one anecdotal story about a collapsed lung in which someone that I know returned from a collapsed lung really quickly. Uh, My buddy Matt Stone that I played basketball with back at Boston Latin School he collapsed his lung um, early, early in one of one of the seasons that we were playing, and he came back in like a month. Um, so, like may, maybe from that one anecdote, like maybe it's possible he comes back. Um, I don't know though, you know. Um, but if if CJ were to come back this year, I think that the lineup that you could put out there, especially with Nurkic, would be really interesting, man. Right? We would have Smart, McCollum, the Jays still have Jay Rich, Grant. Rob and Nurkic like I think that's a pretty solid pretty solid eight-man rotation there and I think in this scenario you're probably going to be giving up on Dennis Schroeder so if you're giving up um you know your at your draft assets to get those guys I think you probably try to move Schroeder off for a first round pick is, is something I think we should do anyway but in, in this scenario I think we definitely do that um but Nurkic is one of those guys man like you know his contract's up at the end of the season and if we're worried about like, oh, can we keep him um, long term because our cap situation and whatnot, if Nurkic seems to be a better piece than the guys that you currently have, like Marcus Smart, Richardson, and or 
Robert Williams, like you can always move off of one of those contracts if you prefer yeah. to keep Nurkic, you know? So like, if, if I think that's something that a lot of people would push back on immediately is they would be like, no, but like our cap situation, like there's no way we're going to be able to sign him. So yeah, but you have other contracts you can move off of. Um, he's, he, he really interests me, man. Cause he's still young. Um, I think that what, like, in my opinion, he's far superior to Robert Williams and Al Horford at the center position. So, like, you're immediately upgrading that. He's not quite Sabonis. Like, he's not on that level. But I think he's kind of in the level between what Robert Williams and Al Horford are and what Sabonis is. Um, so, I, th- this is a deal that I, I would definitely do. Like, I, I I would love to keep Neesmith. I would love to keep Romeo. But I, I just don't know what they're going to be. And right now, we need to turn this ship around immediately, especially when you're questioning whether or not Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can last long term. Like, we need to make something happen in the next two years. And this trade makes us better this year. And I think it makes us better for the duration of the Jays' contracts. Yeah, I mean, I'm all in. I'm bringing Nurkic in. I I know I'm uh, I'm a big fan of Nurkic. I call him Jokic light. You know what I mean? Because you get a little bit of everything Jokic does apart from the freeze, but just not at the same level, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I also think as well, like that opens you up to make some smaller moves around the margins then because you start freeing, like you've, you've picked a lane at that point. You're like, yo, we're, move, we're, we're going in. Like once you pick a lane, it becomes far easier to start making deals. Maybe you go for a, a reliable backup guard, like a Corey Joseph, that's not going to cost you a lot, but you know, he's going to be able to move the ball quite consistently. Um, you can go and pick him up for maybe like, I don't know, like maybe you could throw away. If Schroeder's still there, maybe you can do Schroeder plus a second rounder for Corey Joseph, who's just going to be coming and be a playmaker for you. He's not really going to try and score too much. Um, you can so once you're in that zone, you can start making deals around because you've got that lane chosen. And I feel like this is the biggest issue right now. You don't know which way the Celtics want to go. Do they want to keep developing talent? It doesn't look like it because they're not developing the talent. Mm-hmm. But they're not all in yet. They're not really committing to this core. And if they are, then they need to start making moves. You know, and Yurt Nurkic would be a good start, especially if it came with CJ McCollum in tow. I'd be all in then. I think that team then really makes a good push in the East. It's a far more well-rounded rounded starting five, but the bench still needs work. But it's definitely a good start. So I'm in, I'm in on that deal. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, it's interesting. You talk about we're not developing our young guys, which I agree with. And like, you know, so does that mean we just view them as assets or is it that we're trying to play up the value of a Josh Richardson and play up the value of a Dennis Schroeder by giving them the minutes early in the season so that we can boost their trade value and trade them. And then we know on the back end that we like what Romeo brings. We like what Aaron Neesmith brings right now. It's just not the time for you because we need to get the trade value up of those vets with the contracts. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either way, but this is a trade. Um, I, I pitched to Will and he hated it. Uh, he did not want to make it happen. I think I actually had some <laughs> draft picks in it. So I, I reduced the amount of draft picks because he was like, he, when when I initially said it to him, I think I had like a, a, a pick swap in there as well. And he was like, oh, I thought you were going to say for Dame Lillard. <laughs> I was like, oh man, it's just CJ and Nurkic. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I think this trade definitely makes the Celtics better. And that's what I want right now, man. Like we need to make these small moves that just make us a better team. Right yeah. now, we're not a good team. Yeah. We're 16 and 19. That's horrible at this point in the year. So, like, I'm, I'm down to shake it up on some level. Um, I, I'm not ready to trade Jalen Brown, though. 
And so I'm I'm there. I'm kind of there. I'm not I'm not saying it's the only way to improve the team. And if you can find a way like you just did, where you can improve the team while keeping Brown and Tatum, I'm all for it. But you need to find a way to start taking the ball out of these guys' hands a little bit more and allowing them to get to their spots off ball and then feeding them the rock. I just feel like they're being asked to do like Jason Tatum's being asked to be the primary scorer and the primary initiator. And like that's too much, man. Like, in my opinion, when you're a wing, you need to be really allowed to score. Like, you're asking him to be a player that he's not. You're asking, and we can see right now that Jalen Brown is having to be somebody that he clearly isn't cut out to be. That's not his game. Nothing wrong with that, bro. Nothing. You know, you have point forwards, and point forwards usually aren't as potent offensively, but they're more they're more designed to be a connector. Gordon Hayward was perfect. He would be, he's probably the player that they're missing the most right now. If you could plug Gordon Hayward into this team, I feel far more comfortable because there's a guy that can handle the ruck, create the offense, but doesn't need to be the guy finishing every play, right? I feel like Tatum and Brown need to be your, your play finishers, not your play initiators. And this is where the difference is. Um, but if you, if you can find ways to bring in somebody that's going to initiate for you without losing these two guys, great. But if you want someone of a high, high level, like somebody that's going to come in and be the best playmaker Tatum's ever played with in his career, unfortunately, that's going to cost you a guy that is already at a high, high level too. And the only guy you've got like that who's not named Tatum is Jalen Brown. And it sucks, but that's just the, the reality of it's called a it's called a trade for a reason. It's not called a robbery. It's called a trade. So, you, you know what I mean? It has to be yeah. even or at least perceived as even. I think that wraps us up. Anything else you want to hear? No, man. Um, just like everyone tune in and watch my boy Steve Moy on uh, Married at First Sight because yeah. you're going to fall in love with him. He's my cousin, uh, my older cousin. So he, my mom's brother, um, he's his son. So my, my uncle Jim, it's his son Stevie. Um, Stevie is also a musician, like great DJ, former rapper, um, was like my, my mentor um, coming up in the music scene. So like, Tune in and watch my boy Steve because he he's he's a good dude, man. He's a good. I'll dude. tell you what, man. When we get that over here, because my wife watches that show, so um, when my wife's watching that, I'm gonna be like, yo, let me watch that first episode when this Steve goes there. I want to <laughs> see my boy run this pick and roll. He's telling me he look great. Let me see what it's about. So I won't even be looking at what's going on around him. I just want to see what Greg's <laughs> doing in this pick and roll with the with the love to the layup. That's what I'm looking for. Right, everybody, if you've enjoyed the show, you know what to do by now. Head over to your Apple Store, hit scroll down, find that five stars, hit it, write something nice about us, make us smile. If you're not using an Apple device, I'm not sure whether Greg's really feeling it right now, but he's going to tell you anyway what you need to do. You need to tell everybody in your life to subscribe or follow the Celtics pod, Celtics blog podcast um, for SB Nation. Uh, make sure you're checking out all the all the content that's posted on Celtics Blog, all the stuff that my guy Adam Taylor is posting on Celtics Blog. Tell tell your dog walker, tell your barber, tell the person that is testing you for COVID, tell the person that's uh, giving you your vaccine for COVID. Just tell them about the Celtics pod on the Celtics Blog podcast because we bring it every single day for you Well, when, when we do the pods. And uh, we really appreciate you. It's the end of the year. We've come a long way. We got here to this point. I'm super happy that Adam has allowed me to be on this pod. I'm super happy that everyone has given such great feedback and have accepted me into the Celtics blog community. So shout out to everybody and make sure you're telling everybody to listen to the pod. And with that, we'll leave everybody to carry on with their Friday. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll speak to you again in January 2022. Deuces. Peace.
Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the major, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne, celebrating with the crew This ain't everything I am, it's something that I do